big win in fight against banks and bail-in. And nations which go bonkers over balloons are a danger to themselves and others. Coming up on this week's episode of The Citizens Report. Welcome to The Citizens Report. It's the 17th of February 2023. I'm Robert Barwick and I'm joined today by Citizens Party researcher and editor Richard Barden. Welcome Richard. Thanks Robbie. In this week's show we're going to talk about, I'll give you a first-hand account of the massive victory we had in Canberra last week and the follow-on which has been huge, um, but also the real, we've, we've shown the real face of banks um, if you needed to see it. If, if you weren't aware before, you will be now. Um, and then I've asked Richard to come on today because we have to talk about the collective insanity that's taken over the United States and Australia um, with these crazy China spy claims. And it is insanity. So stay tuned for that if you want to want the proof or you want to argue with us about it. Um, but before we begin, uh, remember, we've got to, you know, we, um, I hope the last few weeks' shows have proven to the viewers, if you weren't already convinced, that we do excellent, effective work, but we need your support. One of the ways to, to support is to help us get the word out on this channel. And you can do that by making sure you, you just go like, hit that like button, make a comment, start a conversation. All these things help with the, we're fighting an algorithm, <laughs> the Google algorithm, right? So, you know, the, just the way that there's more activity on, on the show, on, on, the, uh, on below, it gets shared more. So do that, make, please make a comment. Um, share this show as widely as you can. If you're not a subscriber, please subscribe. Ring the, touch the bell icon so that you can get regular updates. And also, please consider donating to our party because our work's never been more important and it is really, really taking off at the moment. So we have a donate button below. And for today, starting today, I have to announce that we've just received notification from the Australian Electoral Commission that we have to go through the re-registration process, and it's only, what, 18 months or so after we last did it. It's a fairly quick turnaround. Now, we would like you to support in that by, if you're not a member, please become a member. If you are a member, make sure you, you know, contact us, make sure you're up to date. Um, I'll just explain briefly how it works. The Citizens Party spends, you know, we don't often talk about membership on the show because we're concentrating on our actual campaigns around issues, like the, the banking issue. But... A lot of what we get to do, we do because we're a registered political party. And to have that registration, you have to meet the AEC's requirements. And so we don't, do, we don't normally do a lot of membership drives. We only do membership drives for the purpose of re-registration. Okay? Um, and that means when we submit, we have to submit 1,500 names. Not that long ago, it was only 500 names. We have to submit 50. We've got a lot more supporters than that. But formally signed up members, people who've signed the paperwork and all that sort of thing, we've got to submit 1,500 of them. And the AEC calls a sample and all of them have to say, or almost all of them have to say, yes, confirm they're a member of the party, and then we're re-registered. If we had a member in parliament, you don't have to go through this process. And that's, for instance, how someone like Clive Palmer gets to stay registered, um, even though he wasn't able to prove he, he couldn't get registered in Queensland, for instance, despite all the, all the claims he makes about his party. Mm. We are a real party, but we only... we we prefer to stay focused on our policy campaigns instead of getting sidetracked on this. But when the AEC calls, we have to answer and we have to do this. So you can help. If you're not a member, 
please become one. And if you are a member, make sure your paperwork's up to date and um, you can you know, contact our office to make sure that's the case. Um, and ho hopefully what we're about to go through will motivate you to either become a member or do more as a member. So first, big win, big win in fight against banks and bail-in. And Richard, I'm only adding bail-in in there. Um, our regular viewers know what bail-in is, but I'm only adding bail-in in there because this week was the fifth anniversary of the passage of the bail-in bill mm -hmm. in Australia. And we call it the St. Valentine's Day Massacre of Deposits and Democracy. Um, and our party was the party that blew the lid on all that, blew the whistle on all that, right? We blew the lid off the whole thing. I was there in the chamber in Parliament when the, when the, when the thing passed five years ago this week. Um, and it was quite extraordinary. And bail-in, well, why don't you just describe, give people a technical definition of bail-in, and I'll tell them what's going to happen here. Yeah, so bail-in is the inverse of bail-outs. Instead of using government money, taxpayer money, to bail out bankrupt banks, they freeze the bank and steal everything, including most of what's supposedly nailed down as much as they have to, including deposits, to convert into stock in the banks, write off liabilities to make it solvent on paper so the global financial stability isn't threatened. Yeah, and unlike other creditors who make, you know, creditors who buy bonds, for instance, make, they're making a loan to a bank mm. and it's up to them to assess the risk of all that. Yeah, on the understanding that if anything goes wrong, you're going to lose that money. Yeah. That's what it's kind of for. Whereas the, for tr traditionally, for all time, the relationship of a depositor with a bank, while legally is that, you are a, a creditor to the bank in its balance sheet, the relationship was much different in practice. Mm. People put your money in the bank out of faith, out of trust, and that's being abused with this policy. And the worst part was they invented it after the global financial crisis, not to make the banks change the behaviour to cause the crisis, just to give them an extra buffer when they did get in trouble from those crazy gambling derivatives, etc., which is us, right? I'll take their deposits. And, and it's not only the fifth anniversary of the passage of bail-in, but next, yeah, next month, March, is the 10th anniversary of its use mm, in, Cyprus, in Cyprus, right? So this, is, this, is, this has always been a big deal. This is hanging over Australia's heads like a sword of Damocles ever since it was passed. Now, that relates to this campaign we're on now because... If you close bank branches, if you get rid of cash, you can't, out of fear of bail-in, pull your money out of a bank. You're mm -hmm. stuck in the banking system. And that's a big reason why the banks want to do this, right? And so the campaign that we've been on that has had a huge victory this week is, an, is, a, is real progress in that fight. Um, and it is a big victory, right? I, wanna, I can't emphasize that enough. Um, the, we got up an inquiry that was we announced that on the show last week, um, and now we've been we've been all week we've been staring the fate the, the, the banks in the eye, eyeballing them, staring that at them, forcing them to back down on some of their plans, and in some cases it work, it's worked, in some cases it hasn't. Um, now, not ordinarily, Richard, what we do on this show is if if any of our campaigns get any media coverage, we will play it for you. Because it's a, you know, not everyone gets to see that particular media clip, etc. And so we'll use the show to play it for you. We can't do that. And the reason we can't do that is because there's too much of it. Now, we did a big campaign a few years ago with Christine, around Christine Holgate and Australia Post. And, that, and there were pockets of that that generated a lot of media coverage. We've broken all those records. This has just exploded. In the last two weeks, there is too much to be able to show you 
But as I'm speaking, I'm hoping our producer has started to put images on the screen of a sample of this, right? And you can, you can just get a bit, bit of a flavour of what I'm talking about, and, and I'll tell him to keep doing that. You'll, just, you'll see that. We won't, we won't play the clips. We can't play all the TV shows, but we're talking about all the major commercial radio stations in Australia. We're talking about ABC regional radio right across the country. We're talking about the big te- morning television shows like the t- Carl Stefanovic. We've got him on the warpath, right? <laughs> His stupid brother we'll talk about later is on the warpath to start a war with China. We've got Carl recruited to a war- on a warpath against the banks, which is a much better warpath. Um, so this and, and, and really, really hard-hitting stuff these guys have been um, uh, taking up, which has been great. And it, it's all a reflection of what we knew was there all along when we start. We don't do this to get the media coverage. We don't do this to get the, um, the acclaim. We, we pick up an issue that we know is a real issue and it's being ignored. And then when they stop ignoring it, they can't cover it enough because it's just a self-feeding process, right? This is real damaging for people every day out in the community. So we're losing their banks and they're finally getting that reflected um, in the media, right? So that's really good. I have to, I want to, I do want to specifically show a few uh, images though. There's a net, there's a bunch of people that are claiming credit. Success has many fathers. <laughs> and I'm glad they're on the bandwagon, Richard. Mm-hmm. But a bandwagon has to be built by somebody. Yep. We built the bandwagon, right? But I'll just show you. So you got, you got Ray Hadley on 2GB. Um, I'll tell you something about Ray Hadley. In, in uh, 2019, August 2019, um, I was in Brisbane with John Adams, the economist, and there was a Citizens Party function up there at the, at, um, at the big pub thing that we had, they had the function at about the cash ban. And John Adams and I were in the restaurant the night before the function, and Ray Hadley was there. And we stopped him, right, and introduced ourselves. Ray, you know, we're here fighting the cash ban which is related to this campaign. Ray was polite, like he was a nice guy. He was, he was nice to us, he was polite, but he wasn't interested, mm-hmm. right? Um, now, now, Ray can't get enough of this subject, right? He is on the warpath. So um, uh, what people should do is, we'll, be- below we'll put a link to the page on our website where um, some of our people here have very patiently or tirelessly or however you want to say it, put up, a lot of links to all this coverage and if you want to see the scale of what I'm talking about just go to that page follow the link go to that page and click on all the links and see the coverage including the radio interviews that people like Ray Hadley have done on 2GB so you had 2GB and that's the biggest radio station in Australia really commercial one 3AW in Melbourne the biggest commercial radio station in Melbourne Um, big big coverage uh, across the whole country and then of course you had the national newspapers um, big coverage in them as well so that's great. Um, the other post I wanted you to see is, is um, Matt Canavan's post, the National Party uh, member senator who's the chairman of the committee that is going to do this inquiry into regional banking. And look what he says. The National Party are on the warpath. <laughs> um, Richard, what, were the, what was the status of the National Party before May 2022? Oh, as I recall, they'd been in government for about nine, a bit over nine years. <laughs> Matt Canavan, for part of that time, was in, was the, in cabinet. the cabinet. Um, we're going to play a clip. We're going to one of the things I'll get I'll get um, the producer Ben to put up is images of a press conference that was given this week with Jerry. I'll, I'll talk about that more in a second. But um, uh, where you'll see a lot of National Party people turned up, 
and gave speeches at that press conference about the banks. Half of them were, former, were until May last year, cabinet ministers. Cabinet ministers. They could, have deal, they could have solved this then. Cabinet ministers, right? Now they're jumping on the bandwagon. I'm really glad they are, but I'm just saying that. I'm not saying it out of sour grapes. I'm saying that because I want people to understand you, the viewer of this show, who when we say to you, please make calls, please send emails, you are the reason for this victory, not those guys. We need them to be doing what they're doing now. That's great. They're doing that because of what you've done. Right, and understand that's how that's how it works. Um, so we are over the moon. This is a massive victory. We've got this inquiry, but I have to confess I'm also pretty angry. And the reason I'm angry is because the first thing that the committee did once we got the inquiry up was something really potent. They wrote a letter. All the committee members signed it, and that's Nationals, Liberal, Labor, and Green. All of them signed it. They wrote a letter to the bank saying. Pause your branch closures. No more branch closures until this inquiry is complete. And if that is an eminently reasonable request, right? Mm -hmm. This is a big deal. This has a huge impact on the regions. Pause your branch closures. That was on the Friday. On the Monday, Commonwealth Bank did. They were the first bank to pause. And by doing that, we saved the town of Junee. And Junee is the town... We've got the picture on the front page here. We, I think we might have shown it on the show last week. They've been doing extraordinary... Junee has fought the loss of their last bank harder than anybody. They're, you know, they're an 80-kilometre round trip from Wagga, um, and it was a huge deal. We saved Junee. Junee was going to close down in a couple of weeks, and now that has been postponed. We've saved them temporarily, yes, temporarily, but nevertheless, that was a big deal. Um, so that's great, but there's more than the Commonwealth Bank. And what did the others do? Well, on... Uh, Thursday, no, no, sorry, today's Friday. On Wednesday, mm -hmm. National Australia Bank put out a statement saying we will cooperate with this inquiry, but we're going to continue out, they use a bit of new speak, branch reshaping process, which includes closures. Mm. You know, now, if you look at, um, I mean, I, I just saw a, uh, a, a Facebook post a little while ago, like this morning, from a, a person in the town of Alexandra, in Victoria, which has a NAB, and they're about to lose it. NAB's going to shut down the branch at Alexandria in Victoria. And this was a long post by someone who's part of the CFA up there, etc. And he was describing how gutted and stuffed the town will be because of this decision, right? And NAB today made what? How much did their did their profit grow by? Eighteen percent or something? Yeah, or their cash income, so you can assume profits will go up by the same margin. Eighteen like this, they're on track for an eight billion dollar profit. Commonwealth Bank is a bigger bank, of course. They made a $10 billion profit this week. NAB's on track. They've got an over $2 billion quarterly profit. They're on track for an $8 billion profit. These are banks that are getting, this, getting huge amounts of money injected into them by the taxpayer. They're the only businesses that are guaranteed by the taxpayer. There's four, banks in, four businesses in Australia who can't go broke. And they've, not only are they, do they get all that public support, they've had a request from a Senate committee and NAB just gave it the middle finger, right? Now... That's bad, and that just really enrages you because we are fighting. You know, you don't get involved in a campaign without being getting a connection to the people that you know suffer, right? And we are, you know, we are very bitterly disappointed by these towns that are going to lose their banks if this goes ahead. When there is an, when there's a really good reason for it not to happen. And then yesterday, it was almost as if, almost worse, because Westpac made an announcement, and they announced um, 
oh, we are pausing closures of eight regional banks. And the mm. media, you clip it, the media reported that all day as Westpac's closing, is pausing the closure of eight regional banks. Mm -hmm. And it was a lie. It was, well, the eight it was is, a half-truth. The, the eight is correct, but they, they, they use this sophisticated, um, you know, people know what sophistry is, right? Uh, language where they said and uh, the uh, suspending the closure of uh, bank branches announced in February. Yes. Not closures in February, announcements in February. The ones that they'd already announced, chop and block. And that means today, Kubapedi, and for the regular viewers of this, this show, you will know that was the original town we started advocating for. Kubapedi closes today. And unlike Juni, where now those people would have had an 80-kilometre round trip, or Kanama in Western Australia, which is going to close next Friday, where those people have a 480-kilometre round trip, Kubapedi people have a 1,080-kilometre round trip to the next bank. Or, and they've only ever had one West, one bank in town. That's the thing. Westpac's bank in Juni in Cooperpedia has always been that model. It's never been any different. Cooperpedia didn't change. If anything, it's more of a tourist attraction than ever. Mm -hmm. Cooperpedia didn't change. Westpac changed. They took a strategic decision to transform this whole business model they have. And in fact, we quoted Anna Bly today, uh, this week in our press here, um, our press release, she actually an, uh, announced that on radio. She said, you've got to understand, this is the biggest transformation of banking in the history of Australia that we're going through. Well, who asked them to do that? Who asked them? The transformation they're talking about, which is this massive shift to online banking, that's for their benefit. No other business gets to survive by telling the customer what's good for them. You do what's good for the customer. You, the customer says, this is what I want. You do that, right? You don't go to a restaurant and sit down and say, what's good for me here? Well, actually, you know, that's not quite true. These bankers, they get to go to the richest restaurants in the world where mm. overpaid fat cat chefs that, you know, a $10,000 meal, they will tell you what's good for you. And they're such good chefs, you will say, okay, yeah, I'll, you've just cooked for me, I'll eat it. But most <laughs> people don't go to restaurants like that. Real restaurants survive because you go in there and you tell them what you want. Right, And this is the whole business model. The banks are deciding, no, no, screw that. We're going to tell the customers what we want and they're going to serve us. And we're a cartel and they, can't, mm. they, can't, they don't have a choice. Right? Yeah. And gaslight the customers and the whole country via the media that, that this, is, this is actually what you want. Yes. Yeah. We're doing this in response to customers voting with their feet and not doing branch banking. Kind of hard to do that when you've got to drive a thousand kilometers. <laughs> oh, yeah, we really wanted that. Yeah. Oh, oh let's, let's have a lovely Sunday drive. Oh, no, not a Sunday drive, dear. It's a weekend drive to the next bank. Mm, yeah, I mean, Port Augusta's a nice enough town, but for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. That's, that's not the issue. I'm sure the people at Cooper Pedia like the occasional visit to Port Augusta. I will. You just reminded me, though, one of the things that, that is going to be very good about a lot, of, a lot of this stuff's going to come out in the inquiry, right? This is why getting up is, yes, it's just it's an inquiry, but it's an inquiry with teeth. It's very broad. And a lot of this stuff can come out, including... What I'm really happy about this week is one of the groups that have come out in a big way is the Finance Sector Union because they know better than anybody what goes on in the banks. They represent the staff, right? And those staff, when you go in there, they have to do what the bank tells them to do, but they're, most of them are on your side because mm -hmm. it's their jobs that are lo they're losing as well. And so the National Secretary of the Finance Sector Union, Julia Angrisano, has been on as many media as she can pointing out 
that that particular claim that we're moving onto online is a lie. And she, she, she describes in detail how the staff are ordered that when you walk into that bank, they're there to approach you and divert you away from the teller. Go to the ATM. Uh, you, sh- you can do that at home on your online bank- banking, etc. right? This is aggressive. Register for your online banking. This mm-hmm. is being pushed aggressively inside the banks. The staff are under huge pressure to do that. That is the opposite of you choosing to go online. You are being herded online, as we've talked about in the past. But back to Westpac. Um, so they, they told this half-truth, and the dumb media fell for it. And, I, and I, I'll just tell people, I spent yesterday... Uh, all day with Dale Webster, the independent journalist that we quote a lot. Dale Webster and I were the only people in Australia who didn't swallow this lie by Westpac. All the media did. Dale spent the whole day contacting every media outlet that reported Westpac's announcement saying Westpac's paused branch closures to say, you've been had, right? And a bunch of them corrected it. The Australian's Joyce Malakis was, got, mm-hmm. quite, got quite upset actually at Westpac for, for um, conning them. Um, and the problem is these journos don't get to follow the issue as closely as we have, right? Mm. So she was correcting them all day. I was talking to, I called as many politicians as I could in South Australia that have expressed an interest in Cooper P, senators, members of parliament, etc., and said, please make a public statement. Please call Westpac and advocate on their behalf. The committee is looking at a follow-up request to the banks, to Westpac specifically over this decision. Someone put forward the idea... Well, there's a Westpac bank in Parliament, in the Parliament House building that's mm. exclusively for the use of MPs and staffers. Swap that for Cooperpedi. <laughs> Tell Westpac, close, if you want to save money, close that one. Leave the Cooperpedi branch open, right? Save a town that deserves to be saved. Why should the members of Parliament have, have a, um, the special use of a branch? But we tried really hard. At, at the moment, I do not know the status of this. Um, maybe Westpac will backtrack as they damn well should, maybe they should, but I tell you what, if you're a Westpac or a NAB customer, you should give them a serve. Don't give the, not the staff, not the staff, call up the management or call up their their PR people or whatever. If you're in the bank, tell the staff to pass on a message for you. But if they, you know, why stick with a bank like that, right? Go to a credit union. We don't have a post. You should all join our postal bank when we start it, but go to a credit union, go to somewhere else. Leave these big banks in droves. And if you're in one of these towns, Leave it. Leave the bank. Invite a credit union in or something else, but um, also get behind our campaign. Um, and, th- and, and, of course, you get mad because this is, this is all unnecessary. The banks, the banks should have been responding to um, uh, the, this, this inquiry, and it, it's an eminently reasonable request. Now, here's the good, the good news, though, Richard. As, you know, and I really feel for these towns, and I want them to save their banks, but... When these banks, NAB and Westpac, etc., behave this way, they are promoting our campaign for us because our campaign is for the win-win solution to all this. A public, a government-owned post office bank where every bank post office is not, is not an agency for the private banks like through Bank at Post, is an actual public bank, right? That's what will solve all this. And I want people to listen to the, the CEO of the Shire Council of Junee, James Davis, who was on radio on Monday, on ABC Regional Radio. We're going to, I just want to play a little part of his interview, the very end of the, his interview, where this came up. And this is, just, this is not a guy who's political. He's a bureaucrat in the, in the council. But 
He's under, he and everybody else are starting to pick up that there is a way here to solve this problem once and for all. Because you start the postal bank, then every community with a post office is guaranteed services in perpetuity, mm -hmm. right? It's there, but it also makes the banks compete. So have a listen to James on this. James, the banks are obviously saying we can't make any money out of this. Does the government need to step in? Do we need to appreciate that this is a valuable service, much like education and health, and there needs to be some sort of mechanism where our governments can prop up institutions like banks? That, that could be one option, I think, because that's what, did, that's what we had. You know, the Commonwealth Bank were a government-owned bank originally, um, and unfortunately, as that's sort of gone into a commercial corporate sector and now they're reaping the benefits on the back of deposits and loans. You know, they, I think they cast a $10 billion profit last financial year, the CBA alone, which is a very profitable business, you know, in anybody's language. And, you know, it's on the back of the mums and dads and the businesses who are prepared to invest or borrow against that bank. So if there was uh, the bank by post service, which is the alternative, which allows for some transactions, small yeah. transactions over the counter, which many banks are paying the Australia Post to offer that service. If they offered a full service through a government institutionalised bank, then that would force the banks, I think, to come back into regional area because they would have to compete on service rather than just competing on um, shareholder profits, you know? Mm. Mm. James, I appreciate you coming on and explaining your community's position. All right, and I like that. That's that. That that was on ABC Regional Radio in South in New South Wales, right across the whole state. The next day, that radio station had Senator Jared Rennick on there, and um, the whole discussion was about the postal bank. Robbie Catter has been on Two GB with Ray Hadley talking about the postal bank, mm. right? So um, the, suddenly, I well, I was on uh, what was it six PR in Perth a week ago. Big long interview about the, our postal bank idea, and every, and they had talk talk call, talk back callers, and I couldn't hear one that didn't endorse it, right? So this is this part of the campaign is really really taking off. Um, let me play you the only other clip I had for this segment though, that this was this was a really interesting development in this campaign. On uh, Wednesday, Bob Catter got up in Parliament and asked a question in question time of Anthony Albanese. Now, Bob Catter asked some really classic questions and he's got a real reputation for his questions. Um, so this is a classic Catter question and he, 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 he leaves enough uh, mystery in there for, the, for the, the, uh, the, the, the person he's asking to have to interpret the question. But you can tell by Albo's response that he's prepared for this question and they're gonna talk about the bank closures and they're going to talk about a postal bank and they talk about Christine Holgate. Have a listen. When the House comes to order and when there is complete silence, I want to hear every word from the member for Kennedy and I give him the call. Prime Minister, are banks in Australia's towns closing? Treasurers Keating, Hockey, Swan averred the majors will always be underwritten by government. Will you support North Queensland's industrial leadership in proposing a North Queensland postal bank initiated by the KP. And note the curious inconsistency of two Liberal senators who, in power, sacked Holgate, the person actually creating a people's bank, out of power, the two want to look into it. Churchill observed, looking into it, you'll only find your 
see yourself how extraordinarily narcissistic. There was, there was definitely a question in there. I'm not sure about the end of the statement, but I'll give the call to the Prime Minister. Oh, the house. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And I thank the member for Kennedy, not just for the question, but for his genuine commitment on these issues of services for people in his electorate. And, of course, bank closures in regional communities is a very real issue out there. And I can inform the member that the Treasurer met the chair of the ACCC just today on this, on this issue. And indeed, as well, uh, we look forward to the findings of the report from the Senate Committee on Rural and Regional Affairs and Transport Inquiry into bank closures outside of metropolitan areas. Uh, the member raises the issue of uh, Australia Post, and that is certainly uh, one of the options which is there. Aussie Post already plays a big role. In the 2022 financial year, they processed around 14.5 million transactions with over 3,500 post offices currently providing banking services across the country. And I know that this was an issue that Christine Holgate has mentioned in the question. I think a, a, a fine person uh, was advancing uh, before uh, the uh, former government uh, took action on the floor of this, uh, on the floor of this chamber uh, to, to remove uh, her, in part, of course, uh, of course challenged by uh, the inconsistency of the, the members uh, that you raise. And one of the things about uh, the member for Kennedy, whether you agree with all of his views or not, and on some of his views I agree, some I do not, is his fair income, uh, unlike the great pretenders who he refers to, uh, the uh, LNP senators uh, out there who have discovered this issue after 10 years of government and doing nothing about it, uh, have discovered it. Uh, one of them, of course, is famous for wearing high vis in his backyard for, for, for media conferences and doing, and doing something that no coal miner would do, which is to smear coal dust on his face for, for the photo op. Uh, but, uh, the, the, member, the member for Kennedy is fair income, un unlike the pretenders over there in the Senate who pretend they care about regional Australia but never actually stand up for it. All right. Now, the thing is there, Richard, I want to highlight is in his answer, Albanese made a real, revealed something very specific and important, that that morning the Treasurer, Jim Chalmers, had met with the ACCC mm. on the issue of bank closures. And in, now, the ACCC is a powerful regulator in Australia, and it's the only one that protects consumers, right? So something is happening that we've forced on them. And um, so that's good. I want to come back to that in a minute because I want to talk about Dale Webster. But the second thing is um, he acknowledged Christine Holgate's work about, about postal banking, right? That's very important. And he acknowledged Christine Holgate, and he acknowledged Bob Catter's um, credibility, right? Elbow did all this very, very deliberately. But in acknowledging Christine Holgate's work about postal banking, we now can be very confident that this is being, they're very aware of this at the highest levels of the government, right? We just have to make it an undeniable case. But back to the, the, um, the Chalmers thing. There's a, and back to what I said earlier about success have many has many fathers. I'll tell you who really deserves the credit for this campaign, right? And the number one person is Dale Webster this independent journalist, and we, we quote Dale a lot. 
But Dale did tireless work, rigorous work. She showed up the the regulator, the APRA, which is supposed to keep the data on bank branches. She showed them up with her work. Um, she documented the real, the real face, the real scale, the real impact of bank branch closures in regional Australia. And part of Dale's connection to this is she, her dad was a bank manager. She grew up playing behind regional banks, right, including the, the ANZ in Myrtleford, which, the, which ANZ has just announced that they're going to shut down, right, mm. just before this inquiry got up. Um, so she has a personal connection to it, but she, she has made, she, she's taken up a mission which sort of goes beyond the realm of a normal journalist to actually document this real story. And because, because of the work she did, we came across it and we have the political power that we can bring to these campaigns and that was able to be turned into this inquiry. But from the very beginning when the, the Albanese government got elected, Dale has been directing her messages at Jim Chalmers personally, right? Because he's the man with the power and consistently for nearly a year doing that. And so now we know that Chalmers has, um, has uh, uh, done what he's done and we'll see what comes out of that in the context of the inquiry. Um, so Dale deserves all the credit in the world. I also want to credit Martin North from Digital Finance Analytics. Martin has dedicated his channel in the last year or more, to, and even before that, Martin's a huge supporter of the Postal Bank campaign, but he's dedicated his channel to telling the, what's really going on with regional bank closures, and he co-signed the letter with Dale that went to the Rural and Regional Affairs and Transport Committee requesting this inquiry, right? Poor old Ray, Ray Hadley thinks getting up inquiries is easy. This has been going on for, for years and, and, and really intensely, you know, for well over six months, and Martin's been right at the middle of that. Of course, you know, we, the Citizens Party, also deserve enormous credit. Pat yourself on the back. Like I said before, every one of you guys who's done something, you need to understand that you've played a, a really important role in this. Um, the Finance Sector Union deserves uh, credit. Some of the politicians deserve credit, and a huge thank you to Senator Jared Rennie, right? Mm. Jared made this happen. And Jared and the, the um, and I also would be remiss not to mention Senator Malcolm Roberts. Malcolm Roberts was the first person to use his position as a senator to start um, asking really pointed questions of, of APRA from Dale Webster's work, etc. And he helped put this on the agenda. But to get up the inquiry the way we did required getting the, 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 the Liberal National Coalition on board, right? And then with, that, with them on board and if the, with the Greens' support, then there's the numbers in the Senate. And Jared made sure he got the Liberal National Coalition on board. And that's why, you know, he, he was present at that uh, press conference that I showed you before. Uh, we, we mentioned before with the National Party. Um, uh, that was, like, really, really excellent work. And I have to credit the Greens as well because they were steadfast. They, they, they did not quibble. They knew there needed to be an inquiry. And if you've been watching what the other thing that the Greens have been doing this week is really going after the banks on this uh, interest rate spread and, mm -hmm. you know, Philip Lowe and raising interest rates. And it's actually all good stuff. So this is excellent, right? Really, really, um, you know, really uh, excellent outcome. And everybody that's played a, a really important role deserves credit. And now I will credit all the people who jumped on the bandwagon because good on them. <laughs> it's been really great, really, really great. I know they mean it. They're not faking. Um, it's just what they do is they usually let other things get in the way. We don't, right? We, we know it's an issue. We will push it. In fact, we get criticised for being so single-minded in our focus sometimes and not going off on other tangents to do other things and, you know, pe people will know what I'm talking about probably. Um, but we get it. We have our successes because we're so consistent um, in, in staying focused on this. And, yeah, that's so for all... We do all the, we do all the, the, the heavy lifting and all these guys jump on board. 
And finally, this has taken me a long time, I'm sorry, but the most important part of this process now is we have an inquiry, we must get submissions. This will generate lots of submissions, let me assure you, but we have to get every community, business, organisation, individual in Australia affected by these branch closures to make submissions and everybody who supports the Postal Bank solution to make submissions. The submissions are due by the 31st of March, so the six weeks from now. We'll put the links below. You can email a submission, you can write a submission and mail it in, and I really encourage people to do that, and you can upload a submission. All the details will be on the link below. But especially, think about, I'm now appealing to all you people in YouTube land, you're all watching now because you're on the internet and we're on the internet. But we are talking about an issue that affects people, a lot of whom are not on the internet. And they deserve to have a say. And they're the ones who can handwrite letters. If you live in regional towns, if you, whoever you know, senior citizens groups, country women's associations, um, think of them yourself, chambers of commerce, etc. Men's sheds. Men's sheds, exactly. The elderly people who get disrupted when the branch closes down and, they, and they're expected to just go online and face all that or, or, or drive these vast distances. Every single one of them who sits down and handwrites a letter, if that's what they do, and they will probably handwrite beautifully because they're of that generation that was taught to, right? <laughs> Unlike me. Handwrite a letter to the committee, put a stamp on it on an envelope and mail it to them. Encourage them to do that. They should have their say. We can overwhelm the building just through that alone, right? Let's actually, and, and Australia Post will make some money out of it. Good on it. The, the LPOs will, the licensed post office will make some money out of it. Um, that's important, but, but they're not watching the show. You've got to get the message out to them. You've got to help. So we're going to be turning over, turning heaven and earth to get the message out. We've set up a special Facebook group called Save Our Banks that we're going to try and get into all those Facebook groups that all the towns have for buying and selling and you know, griping about the council and all those sort of things that they do. We'll do all that sort of stuff. But, the, but one role that you can play is help us get it out by word of mouth and really encouraging people. You, you, can, you can take printed stuff off, off our website and, and print it out and hand it to them. We've got posters that you can get from us and put, it up in your t- put the posters up in your towns right? We've had some real success in the last because we've just started this. Get involved in that scale of the campaign. We need to get these out really fast. So you're watching this, you know, um, just a few days after I'm saying it. This week is the week you've got to start doing that, right? Let's get the message out so people have time to make submissions. That's really, really crucial um, because then they're going to hold hearings in the regions, etc. And all this is going to you know, really what we're doing is we're, we're mustering people power in a very organized way and we need your assistance in that. So, let's leave it there, Richard. Um, but I think that I think everything's clear. And, and like I said, if you want to see the samples of the media coverage, go to that section on our website. Um, we're running out of time. Let's move on to the next subject because it's got to be talked about. Uh, nations which go bonkers over balloons are a danger to themselves and others. Put them in a straitjacket. <laughs> and I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. The USA last week went bonkers. Over balloons. Over, yeah. And Joe Biden gave a press conference today where he said, he, I, I heard him, yes, we, just, we shot down four weather balloons. Um, but he's still claiming the first one was a spy balloon. 
but he admitted the other four were weather balloons. And then typical arrogant politician, but I do not apologize for keeping Americans safe, whatever, some crap. Anyway, safe from weather balloons. Safe from weather balloons. Um, because they couldn't deny it anymore, actually. Like, it was just... But, but I'm trying to get... I think people need to reflect on the mania, the mania that happened here. Mm. And the problem is, Richard, it wasn't just the United States that lost its mind. That's why we're going to talk. <laughs> we did, too, yeah. over cars and cameras. So let's just go through it. You've, you've done all the work. You've wrote an art, a good article this week. We'll just go through the three elements, balloons, cars, and cameras. First, the balloons. How ridiculous was this hysteria? Yeah, look, the... A weather balloon, you know, weather, high altitude weather balloons, they get caught in the jet stream, the, the high winds up in the sort of the transition between the, the stratosphere and the, and the lower atmosphere, the troposphere, and they go off wherever they're going. Wherever that wind's going, that's where they yeah. go. You can sort of, they have these little rudders and things where they can sort of try and steer a bit, you know, just like a ship tacking against the wind. But in general, where the wind goes, you go. And so, well, they go. So um, that's what happened. This weather balloon floats across. Somebody spotted it out the window of a civilian airliner, <laughs> and that's why it hit the news. This is in late January, early February, the first couple of days of, of this month. Um, the U.S. military got straight up and said, yeah, we've been tracking that. Um, it's not a threat. It's, it's not a military threat. It's not, a, it's not an intelligence threat. It's not a threat to anyone on the ground. They didn't say straight up it's a weather balloon, but they might as well have. It's just, you know, this happens all the time. There are thousands of these things launched all the time. And so this one just happened to come from China. But, of course, then the usual suspects in the media and the, and the grandstanding politicians and all this McCarthy hysteria that's been, building up, been built up deliberately there and here um, takes hold. And so on the 4th of February, after it's traversed the entire continental uni, United States in a diagonal line from the top, from the, from the northwest to the southeast, they shoot it down off the coast of South Carolina with an F-22 air superiority stealth fighter and a half-million-dollar missile, a weather balloon. Um, and they say, oh, it's, it's collecting surveillance, it's doing this and that, which, of course, why would anyone do that? And Scott Ritter... Yeah, yeah, um, tell, hang on. I, I do want, you've got to tell the Scott Ritter insight, but can I ask another question first and we'll come back to this? Because right? I think this is, you mentioned McCarthyism. Isn't one of the issues that happened with McCarthy and it happens in the McCarthyite climate is mm -hmm. you've got the military has had already said this is not a problem. Mm -hmm. But in the McCarthyite climate, these politicians will get paranoid about the military, their own military. Yeah. And, and they'll think, oh, they're in on it with China. Right. You can't trust what they say. They're, you know, they're in on it with China. McCarthy did that. Yeah, that was his downfall. To, uh, was it Marshall? General Marshall, yeah, General, right? George T. Marshall. George T. Marshall, and that was what that is what was eventually his downfall. So just bearing that in mind when you have a McCarthy, that's why I want people to reflect on the insanity of all this. This this their own military said these are not a problem, but no, when the insanity and hysteria takes over, you got to be seen to be doing something. Yeah. So that said, come, Scott Ritter is yeah. Scott Ritter is one of the only credible voices in America. He he put his reputation on the line as a weapons inspector in 2002 and 2003 and said, there are no WMDs. And he was an American. Mm, in Iraq. In was... Iraq, right? And he was proved to be true, right? So he's now got a lot to say about yeah. Ukraine and all that sort of stuff. But... And, he was, and he was set up and indicted on false charges of, uh, uh, and had his career destroyed because of it yeah. by the CIA. But you, all people have to do is listen to him. He's as sharp as a tack. Yeah. So, what, so what, 
What was his insight well, about why you'd use a weather balloon to spy? Yeah. And bearing in mind, this guy's a real intelligence professional. Yeah. He, was a, he was a senior Marine Corps intelligence officer, and then he was a UN weapons inspector, and knows all about missiles and satellite surveillance yeah, yeah, and all the rest yeah. of this. So um, they said, oh, this, thing, this balloon's going over taking photographs of, of America's, uh, one of their three fields of missile silos, ICBM silos in Montana. He said, well, okay. If you're going to take usable images from a balloon, um, and people can watch the YouTube interview where he, said, where he explains all this, but he said, if you're going to take usable images from a balloon, basically, well, it's blowing around in the wind, moving around, getting swayed by the breeze, or the jet stream in this case. Um, and he said, so you need a gyro-stabilized gyro platform in order to stabilize the camera to take a use, useful image. Okay, so that's heavy and expensive, and why would you put that on a balloon? But say you did. How's it going to, how are you going to get the images back? Well, if you store them on a disk, you can't count on retrieving this balloon. No. <laughs> right? they, they go wherever, they pop, they get shot down. <laughs> yep. um, so you would have to transmit it back to a satellite. Well, well hang on. <laughs> so why, he just said, why would you do that when you've got the satellite there that can take better photos of anything than a yeah, weather balloon, yeah. than a balloon possibly could, yeah. a camera on a balloon? He said, and... You know, regular spy satellites, they go whizzing around the world at whatever speed and they just take stuff in take photos in transit and they're on all these different tracks and everybody's got them spying on everybody else who has the wherewithal to do it. But for important stuff like ICBMs, they have high-end satellites stuck way out in geosynchronous orbit, stationary above that point of the Earth all the time, photographing everything, yep. literally everything. These are, these are the kind of cameras they use to take those photos of other planets that you mm. see from space and these sort of things. Because it's important enough to spend on the, to that extent. And so that's what they do. So if you're going to send data from a balloon back to a geosynchronous satellite, just take the photos with the satellite. He just said, look, this is literally the dumbest thing ever. Those are his exact words. And uh, I agree. It's I, just so stupid. Okay. So I hope, I hope people get that point. I, I just one final point on the balloon, though, is um, and we did a, a good article in the alert service on, that touched on some of this. Dwight Eisenhower actually was the first person in America to propose what, was called, what became known as the Open Skies Treaty. Mm. He said it's a good thing when every country can go over each other's countries and know what they're doing as, and, be, and have you know, proof themselves, oh, yeah, they're not planning a war on us, mm. right? That's a good thing. That's good for security. And it led to what was called the Open Skies Treaty, which was in place for a while, but then that was scrapped by the Americans in the last mm. few years. Right. No, Eisenhower was also the first to use weather balloons for spying, <laughs> uh, the, the Eisenhower administration, and then denied it and said, no, they're just weather balloons. But of course, that was in the 50s when there were no satellites. That's so. true, that's true, that's true. <laughs> now, okay, so that was the balloons. And then Australia, thanks to Senator James Patton, Patterson, mm -hmm. went mad as well. And the first claim I watched it on Sky News when I was up in Canberra was about Chinese-made car. Your Chinese-made car is spying on mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, data hoovering computers on wheels. Well, of course they are, but this is a universal problem with these modern cars with embedded SIM cards like a mobile phone because they're, a, they're, a, they're not a rolling computer. They're a rolling consumer appliance. Yeah. Right? The way appliances work is everything goes on backstage. You just push a button and things happen. Yeah. And they, so one of the lines they trotted out was, oh, they have more lines of code than a 747. <laughs> well, for starters, that's a 45-year-old platform but yeah. more to the point 
everything on an airliner. See how many switches there are in that cockpit, right? Yeah, yeah. If, if, if you ever see a photo of one, even a simple aircraft, the reason they're like that is because, and think they don't rely on computers to run them, is because they don't need operates not to crash. They don't uh, updates, I sh updates, I should say. Yeah. Um, but they they want to deny access points to hackers for one thing, but more importantly, all those manual switches, analog systems, they don't fail because the computer crashed. You can you don't you don't your plane doesn't crash. You know the way that these Tesla cars keep crashing into things because they're rolling computers. Mm. Um, but this is a well-recognised problem, and uh, it's it's every every manufacturer of any modern car that does all this stuff, um, especially electric cars, because of the way that they work, which I won't get into now. But they need a more complicated computer to manage them. Um, and yeah, the, and if Patterson's actually worried about this, he just needs to emulate the Chinese. A few years ago, they banned Tesla because everyone knows that Tesla cars do this, particularly. Um, so they just they didn't ban them from China. They sell more of them in China than everywhere else put together. They manufacture them in China. They manufacture them in China and sell them there. Um, and so, but what they said was, you're not bringing these on military bases. You're not bringing them to. Um, you're not having them operate in towns while there are government meetings going on because they're a security risk. And they also insisted that they localize the data. If you collect data on our people and it's, you say it's for this and that purposes and it meets our regulatory approvals, that's all fine. But you're going to house the data in China, in the country that it's collected in, um, and not have it spirited away to somewhere outside our supervision and um, intervention if necessary, the way that they do yeah. everywhere else, including here. Now, with, with the, uh, I, I, when I watched that, that uh, little news story with uh, Patterson, what I noticed is the actual cars they use as examples of how the technology worked, none of them were Chinese-made cars because, as you said, it's a universe. All, all modern cars that have fully mm. computerised, etc. And this, this just screamed of beat-up. Um, Patterson is part of the, this Henry Jackson Society organisation in the UK, which a few years ago called for a global decoupling from China. Mm -hmm. And so he, used, he was saying, you know, we should stop buying Chinese stuff, etc. Yeah. And just not coincidentally at all, the three brands that they singled out in the reporting on this are Chinese brands that are becoming more popular because they're just as good or better and, and cost less than other um, established brands. I've been, in fact, yeah, I, I bought Aval, a... Aval, Great Wall and MG, which is an old British mark that's been um, acquired by a Chinese company now. A, 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 few, a few weeks after I bought my Toyota, uh, a friend of mine gave me a ride in her Haval, which was newer, cheaper... <laughs> <laughs> and had a better, a better um, screen. <laughs> anyway, okay. The third one was cameras, and this is where we did lose oh, our bloody minds. This is so dumb. Um, well, you know, Ritter wasn't wrong because he said that the balloon thing was literally the dumbest thing ever before Patterson came out with this camera thing. Yeah, so, that's wrong. Um, back before the last election, Patterson was the chairman of this thing called the Parliamentary Joint Committee on Intelligence and Security that's supposed to monitor and supervise the you know police the police or the security agencies in this case but it's just a rubber stamp really it's a yeah. it's a paper tiger um, it's it's there to endorse the agenda and cover up for the misdeeds and so uh, yeah uh, they they or the the committee Patterson ordered this audit of these Chinese made or CCP linked as they call it in the media yep. surveillance cameras these are closed circuit cameras most of them aren't <laughs> even connected to the internet but. And they've, but supposedly they're collecting data on everyone and they're installed in all these sensitive government facilities and so on. 
Um, There's a movie made years ago called, I think it was called Sliver, if I'm remembering it right. Anyway, it's about a guy who's the super superintendent of an American apartment oh, yeah. complex and he has hidden cameras spying on everybody and he sits in this room with a bank yeah, of video darkened screens. Darkened room with right, all the TV monitors. Watching everyone at once. And of course, they want you to think that there's a, there's a room in China where Xi Jinping, personally, is sitting, and it's the biggest room with the biggest bank of video screens here. Like, there's billions of them, and he's watching every single one of you yep. every second of every day. <laughs> um, and so, even in the original, the initial reporting on this, they had to acknowledge that, look, Home Affairs, so they had this audit, it reported back there, are 913 of these cameras made by these two Chinese companies. Well, most of those would have been installed while the coalition was in government. So yeah. again, like like we're saying about the banks, why didn't you do something about it when yeah, you when you had yeah. the, when you had the you know when you were in charge, right? Why did you buy them why in the first place? Why don't you start industries in Australia and manufacture your own damn cameras here? Yeah, no, too damn neoliberal for that. Let's yep. just bash China. And so, but Home Affairs came out and said, yeah, there are two sites we rent rented office spaces, one in one in Adelaide, and I think the other was in Canberra, um, where they had these cameras. Said, yeah, those aren't connected to the internet or our internal systems. So some security risk. But no, the point is, um, and I forget the name of it off the top of my head, but there's, there's a framework, a security framework um, run by the federal government. The Commonwealth Public Service you know, has to comply with it. Any academics and, and people involved in anything that, you know, anyone with a security clearance has to abide by these things as to what devices they use, how they can be networked and so on. And so the Attorney General's office said, look, these things complied with that, you know, um, yes, we will re-examine it. We'll, we continuously re-examine it because that's what you do. But these things, they, they basically, they, not in so many words, but said, like, why would this be a threat? Yeah. But then, of course, the media, the McCarthyism kicks in and everybody starts howling about China, 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 security, security, security. And so the government just caves like they always do. And Richard Miles, the defence minister, says, oh, yeah, we're going to audit and we're going to investigate and remove all of these cameras. So if that's true and that's all, all the cameras, that means it's being ordered by the Prime Minister's office because, yeah. you know, a defence minister only has authority over his department, so he doesn't get to make that call himself. Um, but these things have all been checked out by ASIO beforehand or whoever they contract to do this stuff, whether it's the ASD well, or Well, I thought whoever. this government, Richard, was concerned about balancing the budget. Mm. I mean, you know, what, this is insanity. <laughs> the, the expense they're going to go through to rip out all these cameras and replace them Mm. Um, for for public hysteria is is just bonkers, and that's why go back to the headline: nations which go bonkers over balloons are a danger to themselves and others. Because we live in a dangerous world where, and you know better than anybody, with with um, not just before, not just Russia and Ukraine, but for a long time in Syria, there was these deconfliction discussions sometimes mm. between the Americans and the Yanks because. The, the, the Russians and the, the Russians and the, and the Americans because they didn't they, the, the professionals knew mm. how easily something could spiral into a war unless mm. cool heads prevailed right yeah and and you got you've got maximum tension now between the two biggest nuclear armed powers Russia and the United States and of course the other biggest bigger power than Russia is China and you want to know that when push comes to shove cool heads will prevail. Mm-hmm. And we have just seen what happens when the hyster- like. Do you have any confidence in these gov- our government and the United States government now that cool heads prevail when you can see how they can be incited into absolute hysteria? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely troubling. And of course, that's the thing. When you know, as bad as all the public proclamations were during Obama's day and with the Syria situation and so on, 
at least, yeah, public hysteria, sure, but they at least let the professionals, the professionals do the things that they knew. Even they, those, yeah. those equally hysterical in public, politicians yeah. knew needed to be done. And now, yeah. no, it's, you know, you get these, you get uh, leaks of, of like, the uh, when during that disorderly transition of power in the U.S. between the Trump and Biden administrations, when the joint, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, General Milley of the U.S. Army, does his job, reaches out to his counterpart in China and says, "Hey, we just want you to know that we're not up to anything. This is not affecting our, you know, there's not going to be a preemptive strike." I mean, it's telling that he was worried enough that they thought there would be, yeah, right? Yeah. This is not cover for anything. It's just this is what's happening. That gets leaked by some McCarthyist in his circles, presumably, in the, in the Pentagon, and then gets put out in the papers and he gets a public dressing down from the politicians for doing his damn job yeah. and to, to slightly lower the risk of World War III. Yeah. That's where we are. No, we are. And um, with that, we should mention that this week, and you're going to be writing an article on it next week, Sky News ran this show, Are We Ready for War? And um, all it did was prove what John Lander was saying, has been saying for the last year or more, that we are being set up to be the US proxy in a war. The propaganda on Sky News around this and everything else last week, especially doing a show, Are We Ready for War with China over Taiwan, just really underscores how there is an insane war faction in our country, in the United States, in the United Kingdom, etc. And mm-hmm. we have to beat those guys as much as we beat the banks or else it's going to be a much, much bigger problem than, than closing banks. All right. Anyway, we have run out of time. Um, thanks to Richard, very much for joining us for that discussion. Um, Thanks, if you want to know the, more of the details, get yourself a copy of the alert service. But I'll come back to two things. Um, join the party. Join, um, help us with our membership drive in the next few weeks. I think we have till sometime in April. Um, and more importantly, make a submission to the Regional Banking Inquiry and help get the word out, especially to those people who will not be watching YouTube, who aren't on the internet who can handwrite letters, right? Really, really important. Help get the word out to them and otherwise help share this show. So thanks to the viewer for tuning in. Great victory. Pat yourself on the back. Tune in next week for more of the fight. It's just beginning. Authorised by Robert Bowick, Citizens Party, Melbourne.